April 17th, Sunday, by Ji Leong Ko. I wake up with a hard on, and the light between the hotel curtains gives the finger. No rosy morn, but pale, terrorized bringer of the day to come. All right, to right, to right. We'll see, since we're sightseeing, the sights. Lunch with an ex-boyfriend not seen in years. Go to a bar where we will last and leer, but do nothing before we call it a night. I turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Lust disgusts me. And the finger, bruised, a slight cut in the curtain, previously a smear, hardens into a direction, clear, desirable, and promising as light. So that was April 17th, Sunday by G. And it's a sonnet. I don't know if y'all could tell in the way I read it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so April 17th, Sunday, G writes about being in bed, right? It's the dawn of a new day, and it's morning, so, I mean, quite obviously, that's where the beginnings part comes in. And with New Year, right, everyone expects a rupture, like, things are going to get um, astronomically better. People imagine that the, the step from the 31st to the 1st is going to be radically different. People set New Year's resolutions and, and whatnot, but in this poem, really, there's no sense of that transition. In fact, it's it's pretty jaded. The tone is pretty jaded. Um, morning, as G writes in the third and fourth line, right? Fourth lines. Morning isn't rosy, but the pale, pluralized bringer of the day to come. No morning light. And pluralized, so pluralized, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. It's like inflammation mm-hmm. of the sheet-like layers that cover the lungs. So it's, well, clearly he's not starting the day right. He's not even physically well. Um, it's alluding to some kind of physical ailment, right? Um, mm. And also, I don't know if it's like just because I studied French. Like when I saw when I saw Pleurise, I thought of Pleur, which is like rain in French, and it's got like sad vibes. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so man is like not ready to face the world. He's physically unwell, and not just not just that. He's also like emotionally weary, and that's something we get in the following lines as well. Um, but let's just start from the first line. I wake up with a hard-on, and the light between the hotel curtain gives the finger. So waking up with a hard-on, um, <laughs> well, I think it's a pretty, okay. Look, uh, it's a natural, daily occurrence. Yeah, it's a daily occurrence, natural thing to have hard-on. It, it alludes to, you know, like, desire, right? Um, but it's unfulfilled desire because it's just... Yeah, I mean, you get a hard-on, but you don't necessarily do things to get rid of it. So it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, so when I read this line, I get feeling of um, unsatisfied desire. And as you said earlier, right, it's a daily occurrence, so it has that kind of mundanity to it. Um, as though every day we are left just continuing to pine for things that we can't get. Every day you have a hard-on, but you don't have sex every day. Um, yeah. And, it's and the, quite it's quite yeah. in your face also, right? Like, mm-hmm. like usually when it comes to describing I don't know, as far as I've read, but usually when it comes to describing sex it's 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 slow, there's build up, there's mm-hmm. like foreplay, you know. Uh-huh. But this time 
happened is straight up like I wake up with hard on. And it's very like um jarring. Mm, like there's no there's no romance or spirituality at all to this desire. It's just a purely biological um reaction of the body. Mm. Yeah. Which goes back to like the the jadedness that the persona feels, I think. Yeah. Okay, let's okay, move on. Okay. Uh-huh. And the light between the hotel curtains gives the finger. This is quite funny because, you know, when people write poems, light and morning, they're like images of hope, right? But in this instance, the light that creeps between your hotel curtains gives you the middle finger. It's like, ah, the day's not going to get any good. <laughs> and so really, uh, it's just a nice turn yeah, because it subverts your expectations of it subverts your expectations of what morning is going to bring. And mm. in the context of the the jadedness of the persona, right, I think it's just not sub, it's not going to be like sub- subversive or surprising for him. Nah. Every day is just going to be the finger. It's the same scene every day. The morning doesn't give you hope. The morning is just a reminder that every day is going to be the same as the previous ones. Because you're going to have continued having hard-ons and not sex. You're going to continue feeling lonely but not uh, enjoying proper companionship. You might go to clubs, but you not, might not feel um, happy, as he talks about later. Yeah. So, continuing. No rosy morn, but pale pleurized bringer of the day to come. I'll write to write to write. Um, I really like this uh, section of the line, I'll write to write to write, because it continues with that monotony that has been established with the daily occurrence of the hard-on, right? And it's... Hmm. Yeah, so the image I have is of a man who is um, obsessively writing away. And it's not like he's writing for fulfillment, but he's writing because he has no choice but to write. Um, and it's not something that necessarily brings him joy because it's something, it's almost like a routine, it's almost like a chore. And in fact, if you consider the, um, the, the narrative behind the collection, right? The narrative is of this poet who struggles to pay his loans. Yeah. Because oh. Yeah, so he writes a poem every single month, and at the end of the month, he had to just pay his loans down. Yeah, and also, like, um, in the context of the poem itself as a text, right, um, I find it interesting how I'll write to write to write. It's not just obsessive or obligatory in the sense, in the semantic sense, like he has to write for the sake of writing, but also in the contextual sense, because he literally has to continue adding the to write at the end in order to fit the meter and to rhyme with the light uh, light in the first line. So yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of clever. So yeah. I, I mean, it is true. Yeah. It, and like, it's a good observation. I mean, huh? And you, considering, you consider the fact that the persona is like a poet now. So literally, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. We'll see. Seems we sightseeing. The sights. It just looks so like funny. <laughs> literally. <laughs> because he's not saying anything meaningful. It's like, we'll see. And what I'm going to see, okay, since we're sightseeing, we'll see the sights. It's mm. like, yeah, it just adds on, reinforces the, the repetitiveness of his existence and the meaninglessness. Like, nothing surprises him, you know. It's so yeah. predictable. Yeah. It's the same same trend, right, where you're following mm-hmm. in the previous line, just writing yeah. for the sake of writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obvious. Like, he doesn't know how to fill this line. So it's just like, we'll see, okay, since we're sightseeing, the sights. Yeah, and it's like the, it's an anaphora here, I don't know, it's like repeating, like, repeating the same kind of syntax or whatever. And then following that, lunch with an ex-boyfriend not seen in years. So earlier on, on I talked about the unfulfilled desire in the heart on, right? And here you also have that, 
the it lose the um the emotional void in his life right now because it's an ex and it's also an ex that he has not seen in years. So um I think if you are someone who has dated right and you can and you're in such a position, you go out with an ex whom you have not seen in years. I feel like it would conjure feelings of loneliness, right? I mean, you think of the times that were and the times that no longer are. Yeah, and chances are, if you're going out with your ex, you probably, know, you probably don't have a boyfriend right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man is not just sexually unfulfilled, but also emotionally unfulfilled. And then carrying on to the next line, go to a bar where we will last and there, but do nothing before we call it a night. So going to a bar where we will last and there, um, I mean, this carries on like the idea of desire. Lah. You're just, you're pining for life because bars are where uh, life, well, they're very happy places and associate bars with life, I guess. And also bars are places where queer people tend to meet other queer people. I mean, that's why gay bars exist, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, so there's, so where we will last and there, last and there being like kind of passive voyeuristic acts because you're, you're watching from a distance. You're not actually going in to form relationships. You're not going in to that social network. You're still an outsider. So there's that uh, the liquid like alliteration kind of reinforcing mm-hmm. that passivity. Yeah, it will last and yeah. So this reminds me of that Golly Boy poem by Arthur Young, but never mind. Um, but but do nothing before we call it a night, which is surprising because if you go to a bar, there's already that intention to do something, and you last and yeah. That's already the motivation, that primal desire to do something, right? However, ultimately, nothing gets done. So and you call it a blue bulb. What does that mean now? Etched, is it? Yeah, some, something like that. Oh. Let's carry on. Yes. So man has had a hard-on since morning. And like at night, um, even at, like, after so many hours has gone by, he still hasn't matters, sexual needs and wants. Yeah. But do nothing before you call it a night. And then I turn and turn and still the sheets disgust me. He's back in bed. Or alternatively, if we reach the end of the poem, right, he might not even have been to the bar. He might have just been in his imagination, but we'll get to that later. I turn and turn and still the sheets disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Lust disgusts me. I don't remember where I read about this. Maybe it was the introduction to the collection, but I love how the position of disgust, right, changes in every single line. So like in the first line, disgust is at the end of the line. Then in the second line, it's it's as um it's in the middle. Uh, he, he disgusts me, I disgust me. And then the third line, it's disgust in front. So it's really um the repetition, yeah, the repetition of like that disgust. Um I guess it goes back to the the writerly the writerly intention behind this, right? Because we talked about to write, to write, to write. We'll see since we're sightseeing the sites. And here it's like playing with the position of disgust to make it as um I'll just use monotonous again. <laughs> yeah. You get what I mean. It sounds it sounds like quite tacky. Mm. If if I do say so. It's like it's like a like a fifteen year old wrote this, right? Uh-huh. Like, I it's turn and turn and see the sheet disgust me. He disgusts me. I disgust me. Uh, there's no lyricism in these lines, mm. right? It's very the structure is very simple. So it's just 
uh, especially in the second and third line, right? It's just he disgusts me. Right. I Lars disgusts me. Yeah. It's just that very simple structure, as if he has given up on writing, or as if he has no inspiration to allow him to write uh, more beautifully. Yeah. And also, I was trying to say, oh yeah, I turn and turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me. Do you think he had a wet dream? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Well, yeah, the sheets disgust him. Or maybe it's just the fact that he's alone in bed, and all he can feel are the sheets. Yeah. Okay, but moving on. Wait, wait, actually, before, before we move on, uh, yeah, so if we look at the, the rhyme scheme, right, in uh, this part, the second stanza here, so it's an ABBA rhyme scheme, so the sights, the years, clear, and night. So sights is supposed to, in, in this poem, rhyme with night, and years is supposed to rhyme with clear, but as you can see with the addition of the, the S sound, the rhyme isn't quite, uh, it's not as... Uh, fluid is not really like complete, so this creates like a sort of jarring effect, and and yeah, I I think it also helps to contribute to that sense of uh, unfinished business or, or or like the lack of a happy ending to the day, mm. right? So you start off with that uh, sexual desire, but you don't actually get to like mm. um you know release it. Mm-hmm. And also there's some also like like after we've talked about the rhyme scheme, right? I realized that if you look at it as an in an in its entirety, right? It's A B B A, then A B B A, then C C A B B A. So um you know the trajectory I get from this is like you're trying to get somewhere but you return to that same point again. Like in the first stanza, it's A then B, but then you go to go B again and go back to A. And same for second stanza. Then third stanza, you get a new um end rhyme, you get the disgust last rhyme. But eventually, it still goes back to A, and then B, B, and then A again. So, which goes back to our idea of him um, being unable to, you know, move on from, being unable to move on from this, um, this kind of, this way of living, which he has been stuck with for a pretty long time, to the extent that he has been jaded, and no longer feeling the urge, no, he does feel the urge, but the the sufficient willpower to follow through with his desires to eventually um, change his life. Yeah. So now we're back to the last stanza. So, and the finger bruised, a slight cut in the curtain. Previously a smear, hardens into a direction. Well, um, when I read this, it kind of gave me the it kind of felt like I was traveling back in time of sorts. It's like reverse motion because it's from a bruise to a slight cut, then previously a smear, right? Um, mm. I think to me it evokes healing. So it suggests a turn in the poem as if um, here is where hope begins, here is where um, recovery begins. Then the finger itself hardens into a direction. So for me, it could be like, there are, I think there are two ways I would interpret the finger. I think literally it could be him just getting out of bed, drawing the curtain. And so as he draws the curtain, his finger would harden into a direction and light and let light in. So there's a sense of him being active, right? Taking, being, oh my God, I'm mm-hmm. Uh, being prime minister of his life, <laughs> um, but it's a Rosma thing. Um, and 
yeah. Or alternatively, it could be the finger because he also used finger like uh, in the opening of the poem uh, when he compared morning light that seeps in through the curtains uh, to the middle finger. Mm. So alternatively, it could be morning light hardening into direction as if now uh, morning light no longer has that um, mocking, hostile, indifferent um, personality that the persona gave it at the beginning because now it is as if um, the morning light is leading him on to um, another phase in his life, I guess, a more hopeful stage in his life to something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's this contrast with the opening, the first and the first quartet. Um, yeah. So very obviously there's a turn in the poem already. And so the last line is um, desirable and promising as light. So yeah, this is where the complete turn happens. Uh. Uh, I mean, at the beginning, light gives the finger, but whereas now light goes back to um, what it is commonly associated with, uh, which is hope and promise, which is a very human thing. People, mm. yeah, I mean, morning brings hope to people. Dawn brings hope to people, not just like biologically because you wake up and, oh, congrats, you're still alive, but also like in literature, right? Morning is used to connote hope. Lah. So, at the beginning, when you read this poem, right, it feels like an, a reverse obad, because an obad being like a poem about morning, right, and dawn. Um, <laughs> right. But then, towards the end, it's yeah, okay lah. He's getting back into the hopefulness, I guess. And I guess that's why I chose this poem also because it's not entirely pessimistic. There's hope at the end. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I was talking about how he might have not even gone to the bar, right? Because I feel like the image I got reading this poem is um, at first him in bed and then the light gives him finger. Then you get the vignette of him going to the bar but not doing anything. And then at the end, it's him in bed again, but with like morning light being a bringer of hope. So I don't know, my, my way of interpreting it would be Persona was just bed all this while, which further reinforces the um, passivity of the persona because he didn't even get out of bed to do anything. He just imagined going out there and not doing anything. Even in his imagination, he failed to summon willpower enough to like follow through to at least satisfy his desires imaginatively. Yeah, I'm done with this poem. Uh... Actually, on, Actually, on the idea of the, the turning point that you've mentioned, yeah. the structure and, and the rhyme scheme of the poem actually comes back to mind, which is very interesting. So if we look at uh, a Petrarchan sonnet, for instance, right? Yeah. So after the line after uh, do nothing before you call it a night, that's where the, the volta, the turning point would be. Yeah. But in this case, you've uh, rightfully pointed out that the turning point is from... Uh, two lines after that. So, and the finger, bruise, the slight, blah, blah, blah. And what's also interesting is that uh, after the line, but do nothing before I call it a night, you have a couplet right in the, somewhat in the middle, like seven, seven, like three quarters into the poem. Mm -hmm. You have a couplet right there. So, I turn and turn, and still the sheets disgust me, he disgusts me, I disgust me, and last. Right? So, mm -hmm. it's unusual because usually you would end the sonnet with a couplet, but uh, what G has done here is that he's gone and planted the couplet like somewhere further up to, mm. to try 
to uh, enhance and, and contribute to that sense of languor and the sense of like stillness that uh, the, the speaker feels, right? When mm-hmm. he's sitting in his bed and playing all these images in his head and, and he's just like unable to get up. Yeah. Actually, right, now that now you that now that you mentioned the couplet, the way I viewed it just now was three stanzas, right? Like two right. couplets and one sister. But then now that you mentioned the couplet, it could be an incomplete um incomplete sonnet followed by another incomplete sonnet. Do you see it? Well what what do you mean? Okay, like the Shakespearean sonnet is three quad three three quatrains and one couplet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then here if we follow the four stanza formula, it'll be two quatrains and then one couplet. So that's one incomplete sonnet. And then we have another quatrain after the couplet, which follows the same rhyme scheme as the um, the first quatrain, as if um, beginning anew, but also reverting to a same pattern. Ah, right. Yeah. That's the ambiguity, which I think fits in quite nicely like, with the overall tone of the poem, whether it is, it's like balancing between hope and also just jadedness, disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in fact, I guess if we were to adopt my idiosyncratic view of this poem as two incomplete sonnets, there is in fact, I guess, a beginning at the start of the poem, an ending in the middle, and another beginning at the end of the poem. Yeah. It very well be a vicious cycle as well. Precisely. And it's just another hard-on after this. <laughs> yeah. That's right. all I have for this poem. 